You know we love the break in protection our Simply Safe home security system gives us, but it's not just outside forces Simply Safe cares about. One time we got a call from Simply Safe's 24/7 professional monitoring center because Simply Safe detected water in our basement. It was a leak we never would have known about. Saved us thousands because we could turn the water off before it ruined everything. It's nice knowing someone's looking out for us, and plans cost under a dollar a day with no long-term contracts or hidden fees. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/legends. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com com/legends. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from Slovakia and the Czech Republic, where we'll see how you can make some big positive life changes by pretending to be a Pokémon, and that procrastination can be deadly, especially if it involves dragons. The creature this week is either a deadly plant with a long belly button or your new solution to food waste. This is Myths and Legends, episode 267, The Horse and His Boy. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is of a young prince, Prince Bayaya, who starts out with a question for his dad. Hey, Dad, Prince Bayeya said to the king, his dad. He wanted to ask his dad a question. Who was older, him or his twin brother? The king rolled his eyes. Um, okay, was this like a trick or something? They were twins. Bayeya replied that, yeah, but one of them was born first. Was it him or his brother? The king sighed. Okay, um, he was going to level with Bayeya. He wasn't there when the kid was born. He actually wasn't in the country at all. He was out on campaign, which, uh, king family pro tip, if you need some you time and want to go drinking with your buds, just start a war. No one would question anything. If anything, people laud you for leading from the front. He would see someday. Uh, Bayeya said, yeah, that was actually the problem. He maybe wouldn't. You see there was actually some question as to who was born first. And his brother was his mother's favorite. He liked staying indoors with her, so she was pushing his claim, regardless of who was born first. Baia said that he felt like he was just as, if not more, than capable than his brother, so he was hoping to get some support from his dad. The king groaned. All right, he was going to level with the kid. Banana, is it? Baia, the kid corrected, swallowing hard. The king nodded. Sure, he had one rule when it came to parenting. Do what your mom says, leave me alone. Bayaya's shoulders slumped. Ow, um, okay. Well, he thanked his dad for helping him to see things more clearly. He started to shuffle from the room. When he passed the threshold of the doorway, he heard a, wait. He perked up and turned. Shut the door behind you. I don't want any more kids wandering in here the king said, then looked back down to his books. Bayeya obliged and, muffled through the door, heard a, Thanks, Papaya.
you know, you obviously aren't happy, Baya heard from his companion in the stable. Why don't you do the thing the kids do in the old stories? Go out into the world, make your own way, find your fortune. Baya thought about it. He paused from picking out the horse's feet. You know what? Yeah, he was going to do it. Definitely run it by your dad, though. Don't take a whole retinue like he'll probably want. Just take me. Bayaya nodded. Yeah, yeah, classic adventure. Then he looked up to the horse. Hey, also, how can you talk? The horse said they had been over this. He couldn't tell the kid how he could talk. He just talked. Let's move past it. All right, here's what to say to your dad. Dude, yes! The king slapped his hand on the table. Visit the neighboring kingdoms, bring a whole party train, really do it up. Ah, to be young again, and free from his obligations to family and all that. Baya breathed deep. That was still really hurtful, but he was starting to not expect that much from his parents. He told his dad no. He was only going to take his favorite horse, the one that had been born on the same day as him, and who talked to him sometimes. The king said, oh, boring and a little weird. So why was the kid, whose name he definitely knew, here if he didn't want something? Uh, because I'm leaving the country on dangerous medieval roads with minimal provisions and only a sword at my side? Most parents would care about that sort of thing? The king grimaced. Oh, no, they were good. Go ahead. And he did. Thankfully, both parents were not the absolute worst. And as Bayaya saddled up his horse in front of the castle gates, his mother ran out. She said it had been wrong of her to favor one child over another. She was sorry. Baya sighed. He was still going, but that was nice to know. He forgave her, but he still needed to go out into the world to find out who he really was, what he was made of. The queen made him promise to return in a year's time, or at least to send word so she knew he was safe. She apologized again for getting caught up in the castle intrigue. She did love him. She hugged her son and watched as Bayaya disappeared down the king's road. The horse was 17, exactly as old as Bayaya. And while that's not super old today, back then it was. Still, the story marvels that the horse could keep up and never grow tired. Marveled, despite the horse's ability to, you know, speak. They galloped for days before the towers of a beautiful city rose from the horizon. The horse did not take them into that city. In a field not far from the gate sat a giant boulder. The horse approached the site, facing away from the castle, asked Bayaya to dismount, and the horse approached the boulder, tapped three times with its hoof, and a secret door opened. It was a secret horse safe house. Of course, it was a nice little stable, and the horse trotted in and stood for a rest. He turned to the young man and said that in the city ahead, the young man would need to enter the service of the king. He said that he had been well-educated in manners and customs. No problem. The horse said, well, actually, there was a problem. He couldn't go as himself, as Prince Bayaya. He had to mess his clothes up and rub dirt on his face. Bayaya said, okay, that still didn't sound too bad. The horse said, also, you're like a Pokemon. You only say your own name. Bayaya was confused by that. But the horse was a talking horse with a stone apartment. He seemed to have a plan here. Baya said, absolutely. <laughs> the horse nodded, lifting up his hoof to point at the boy. I think you mean Baya. 
To make himself look unattractive, the boy mussed his hair and rubbed a little dirt on his face, which probably just made him better looking. Still, he found his way to the king's court. And because of only saying his own name, the king took pity on the poor man and allowed him to enter into the king's service. In time, the king put him in charge of almost everything. Bayaya's judgments were impeccable. Soon, Bayaya was running the king's household and spending time with the princesses. There were three, Zobana, Brinka, and Slovina. And the king was so confident that Bayaya was so unattractive and unlovable that the 17-year-old was allowed nearly unlimited access to the princesses. And the princesses enjoyed Bayaya's company. I mean, he was a nice guy. And he sewed them stuff, though he always sewed Slovina the most beautiful and ornate things. Something that the girls teased the youngest princess about relentlessly when Bayaya wasn't around. Bayaya sat across from the king. Something was up. The man had hardly touched his spread, like the full table of food one rich guy gets for breakfast in every movie, you know? Anyway, Bayaya knew that something was up when the king blew his nose in a waffle and sobbed into an omelet. Bayaya rose and rubbed the king's back. Bayaya. The king looked up. Bayaya didn't know? Bayaya. Bayaya. That's right, sorry, you just got here, the king said, and sighed. He had a problem. The king sat back with a bowl of berries and started his story. Over like, I don't know, a dozen years ago, when my girls were still young, who would show up in the land but dragons? You hear it happening in other kingdoms, but you're like, it'll never happen to me. Let me tell you, it does. Anyway, when it rains, it pours, and three dragons showed up. The first had nine heads, which is already way too many heads. It makes politeness and eye contact super difficult. But the second had 18 heads, and the third, 27. And despite the number of heads, they didn't want to talk. Like to eat, though. We bravely closed the gates, and the dragons consumed all the food and people on the other side. Turns out, when you don't have people farming for you, you get pretty hungry. So, we were looking at a possible revolt, when a wise older woman stepped up with a prophecy. All I needed to do was offer up my girls to the dragon after they all had reached womanhood, which I wasn't thrilled about, but my reasoning was that we still had some time, and also I really didn't want to be deposed. My wife, the queen, let me tell you, not on board. And when I yelled out my promise to the dragons, she literally died from grief. Can't help but think I had some role in that. Anyway, I know I should have started it, like, figuring out that little problem, whether moving the kingdom, training up an elite force of knights specifically to battle 45 fire poison spewing heads, or like an elaborate trap. Yeah, I had like 15 years, but time, uh, time just got away from me. Anyway, a partially on fire farmer ran in last night, saying that the dragons are back, and they expect the eldest daughter tomorrow, the middle the day after, and the youngest the day after that. Not sure how he understood the dragon the king finished, and then buried his face in his hands. Bayaya, Bayaya said. Bayaya, Bayaya. The king sat up and looked at the young man. Really? You? The king looked Bayaya up and down before grimacing. No, you won't. You'll stay here and advise me and not get yourself needlessly killed. There's only one way out of this. Bayaya, 
Fighting a dragon siege? No, I'll just give up my daughters. Give up three to save the suffering and deaths of thousands? Basic utilitarianism, the king said, sticking his nose in the air. Baya, the young man mumbled. What, what was that? Did you just call me a coward? Baya, Baya, Miss Heard, I didn't mishear anything. If I had less on my plate, I'd have you flogged, the king said, rising. Now, he had to go tell his daughters that they were going to get eaten by a dragon. We'll see how the princesses take that news, but that will be right after this. Bayaya, 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 the young man said to the oldest princess. She shook her head. He didn't know what he was talking about. She was going to die, and no matter how much he tried to reassure her, no one would be coming to help her. She slumped down on the couch, face pale to the point of nearly being gray. She and her sisters were in mourning, for themselves and for each other. They didn't take Bayaya's words seriously, and instead continued with their sobbing and weeping. In the tumult of the princesses being sacrificed, it was easy for Bayaya to slip from the city without being seen even with the gates closed. The people, it says, were mourning even as fiercely as the royal family, though not as intensely as if the city would again be besieged by a fire-poison-spewing dragon. Soon, the young man was at the boulder in the field outside of town. He knocked a few times, the horse paused his game and turned down his music, and answered the rock. Ba-ya-ya, the young man started, but then paused. Sorry, I, I need your ba-ya-ya. Nope, I need your help. Wow, that's going to be a hard habit to break. He told the horse the story about the princesses, and the horse nodded politely, but cut him off about halfway through. Yeah, no, he, he knew the story of the princesses. That's why he brought Bayaya to this kingdom. He thought Bayaya might be the type of young man to save everyone. Tomorrow morning, the kid should come, and the horse would walk him through how to fight a dragon. The how to fight a dragon part was basically just fighting 101, I assume. You take your sword, and you cut the dragon until the dragon dies. No shooting an arrow at the gap in its scales or anything. You kill a dragon just like you would kill any other type of monster. The issue was getting close enough to the dragon to hack away at it. That was where the red suit came into play. The suit was red, embroidered in silver, and studded with diamonds. It came with a very intimidating red-plumed helmet. This whole talk happening the morning of the first sacrifice, could really have been had the night before because the horse wasn't that helpful. He told the kid the tactic for killing the dragon, hitting it with the sharp end, and gave him the fantastic suit, but just told him to go fight the thing. Meanwhile, the first daughter, Zobina, was boarding a carriage to profuse apologies from dad, while the town was following along, mourning, and definitely not to confirm that it was actually happening, and that they wouldn't have to send their own children to fight 40-plus dragon heads. When the carriage creaked as Zobina climbed down, with the dragon perched on the rock in the distance, the people saw the gaudy red plume and the equally loud suit crest the horizon. It boomed out with an authoritative voice of a knight that told them all to leave. It would face the dragon alone. The people 
definitely bummed out that they couldn't face that dragon, did the equivalent of reaching for the check after someone had already picked it up. You sure? Really? Wow, thank you, that's so nice. Next time. They would get it next time. The princess, though, was already out of earshot and approaching the rock until she wasn't. Overwhelmed at being dinner for a dragon, the princess fainted. Baya took off in her run at the dragon, and though it was eyeing the princess, spied the prince in his suit, roared, and charged at Baya. So you might have told me that the suit repelled fire and poison, Baya said to the horse when the pair was far enough away after killing the dragon. He washed off the poison in the river, and it was only after he had done that that he thought, maybe he should have considered the people who lived downriver? Eh, maybe it would dilute. So the suit and the sword worked. The horse got the prince back on track. Baia inspected the sword and nodded. Yeah, really well. The sword took off three heads at once, and he was expecting a hydra situation, but they didn't grow back, which was nice. It wasn't long until all nine heads were littering the ground and the princess was waking up. The prince galloped off before she could see him. The city was so intrigued by the mysterious night that Bayaya was able to slip back into the palace without anyone knowing he was gone. The celebration of the eldest daughter being spared was dragged down by the knowledge that, come the following day, they would need to give up the middle daughter to the monster, though she was secretly hopeful that the knight would come to slay the dragon. And she wasn't wrong to be hopeful. Wearing a white suit, embroidered with gold, he cut off all 18 heads and, again, escaped before Budinka was able to stop him. That night, Slavina was all but assured that he would show up. She chastised her sisters for not calling out after the night. In fact, if she was delivered the following day, she would bow before him and not allow him to leave before he returned with her to the castle and... Wait, why was Bayaya laughing? <laughs> the young man said... Uh, Baia, Baia, why do you want to meet him? Slovina said. But whatever. For all of her talk, Slovina was legitimately terrified, and when facing a dragon with 27 heads, that's justified. It took all of Baia's strength, this time in a light blue tunic studded with diamonds and pearls, but he and the horse were able to defeat the dragon. When Baia made to ride away, he felt a tug on his tunic. Slavina was pulling at him, begging him to return to the castle so everyone would know he was the hero. He refused to make eye contact with her and give himself away. And then the king himself sprang from behind a nearby rock to spot the knight who had really come through in a pinch for him and completely justified all the procrastination. Bayaya almost turned to tell Slavina yes, that it was everything he wanted to return to the castle and be recognized for his efforts, to tell her he loved her and be loved in return, but the talking horse wasn't having any of it. He galloped and wrenched the cloak free from Slavina's grip. When they were far enough, the horse informed the young man that it wasn't time yet. He had to go resume his ruse. The kingdom was still in danger. Baia asked how that could possibly be the case. But he saw how, when they rode the long way around a bunch of guys marching, the kingdom was under attack. And yeah... If we have any medieval monarchs listening, first, how are you doing that? And second, the best time to try to take over your neighbor's land is when they're dealing with dozens of dragon heads. Sure, it's not fair, 
but you're putting your neighbor's people to the sword, so you probably don't care about fairness. Still, the princesses were safe. That was all that mattered, because now the king could dangle the prospect of marriage out to all of his nobles and get them to rally their own men and fight for the king's behalf. And yes, really, classy king. Bayaya, though, didn't go with the king and the nobles to war, because as the king's most trusted advisor, he was put in charge of the castle and keeping the princesses in good spirits. But Bayaya fell ill. Bayaya, Bayaya said, pointing to his forehead. The physician looked to Bayaya and then the princess. What did that mean? Bayaya, Bayaya, Bayaya barked and then crossed his arms and sat back. Selina said that he had fever and chills. The physician said, oh, wait, you can... Bayaya? I'll ask, the princess said. He wanted to know if the physician had any of a certain herb that grew nearby. The physician shook his head. He sent most of his medicine with the warriors. Bayaya, the young man said, rising. He says he'll go pick some himself, Selina said. When they left the doctor's office, she turned to the young man. Did he want her to come with? Bayaya, Bayaya, the young man said, waving his hands in front of his face. Oh, yeah, you're right. Still, you stay safe out there too, she said. And the pair parted. When we come back, it's Bayaya to the rescue in his fancy suit for the fourth time. But that, once again, will be right after this. The king watched his knights cut down to a man. So, this was how it ended. You survive a dragon, only to fall to some jerk who expected you to fall to a dragon. Then, the flash of a sword, and that flashy, gaudy, plumed helmet in the distance. He had come! The king's warriors gathered around the already legendary knight, the one who had saved the princesses from the dragon. He had arrived. The news of his defeat of the three dragons had already spread throughout the land, and his reputation preceded him to the point that, by even appearing on the battlefield, he decimated the enemy morale. It wasn't long before the battle turned completely, and the enemy was routed. Then, a sword hit Bayaya on the foot. It didn't really even break the boot, but before Bayaya could stop him, the king galloped over, leapt from his own horse, tore off a strip of his own cloak, pulled off Bayaya's boot, and bandaged the non-existent injury. He put the boot back on the young man's foot, and then didn't let go of the boot. As he was hugging the foot, he said it would be super cool if the man would come to his tent. He didn't mean to be weird about this, but he was absolutely going to be weird about this. Come to his tent and he wouldn't keep physically holding the knight here? The king could only hold on for so long as the horse galloped. And soon, dusting himself off, he rose, shaking his head. This man had saved his daughters and his kingdom now, but the king didn't even know who he was. Bayaya, uh, Bayaya, Bayaya. The king sighed, propping up his head with his hand. So things went well in his absence. Cool. Not that well, Slovena intervened. 
the King Stuart by Yaya, disappeared for two days when he went off to pick herbs. The king said, uh, two days ago. That was right when the mysterious savior came to their aid. Anyway, was the young man feeling better? Bye, the young man replied. Oh, yeah, allergies can be rough, the king said. Then he clapped his hands. All right, well, since they weren't currently in exile or dead, he had to make good on a promise. So it looked like his daughters were getting married. They were excited, maybe? The problem... Aside from forcing your daughters to marry someone as a door prize for helping you out in your war effort, was that so many nobles had helped out, and there were only three daughters. So, they all decided on some apple rolling. All the nobles lined up under a balcony, and the three daughters stood above the crowd with a golden apple in their hands. They would toss the golden apples down to the crowd, and the person it landed in front of would be the husband. Now, I think that something like this would end in no small amount of bloodshed, but for some reason, all the apples ended up going to one guy, the king's servant, Bayaya. Somehow, despite the apple being the most watched thing in the history of the kingdom, and Bayaya just being in the competition on spectator mode, he was able to get in front of each successive apple and hacky sack it to the nobles he thought the first and second daughters would get along with the best. And... Everyone was apparently cool with that. Maybe he was super sneaky. Then, Slovenia's apple rolled to him. Bayaya didn't wait. He dove. He dove and he got it. To gasps, Bayaya held it aloft, but saw that his future bride-to-be had run away crying, which is really the response you want from your future spouse. horse smiled a sad smile as Bayaya dressed out by the boulder. Well, he couldn't do anything more for the young man. This was where he would leave. Bayaya, goodbye. Bayaya stopped him. Wait, you're leaving? You're not going to tell me your whole thing? Bayaya asked, looking into the horse's eyes. Bayaya, the horse began. I came to you when you needed me most. You didn't have a friend in the world. You were so hungry for love and approval and a purpose that you would talk to anyone, even a horse. Is it possible, Baeya, that I could never speak? That you found that you didn't need the approval of your brother, your parents, the world, if you could only learn to love yourself and trust in your own abilities? (laughs) Maybe, maybe I was the voice inside you, Baeya encouraging you. Maybe I could never really talk at all. But you're talking right now? Bayaya replied. Am I? The horse replied with a wink. Bayaya said, yes, we've talked for days on end on the road. Have we? The horse said with a wry smile. Still yes, Bayaya replied. The horse sighed, okay, Cards on the table. He liked the kid. He wasn't telling the kid his whole deal. He was a talking horse. Deal with it. If you want a deeper meaning, the one he just talked about totally worked. But yeah, he has been and will always be a talking horse without explanation, as in the original story. Now he had to ride off into the sunset. He thanked Bayaya for ruining the goodbye. And the horse rode off into the sunset. Bayaya stood stunned, but then he remembered his betrothed, 
Before he left, he turned back to look at the boulder that had been the horse's secret stable, and it was still the secret stable because the horse was a magical talking horse. Baia shook his head and ran toward town. In the castle, gasps went all the way up to Slavina's room in the tower. Baia was kind of hurt that she didn't want to marry him, Baia the servant that is, but he knew the only reason she didn't want to marry her dad, Stuart, was because she was in love with the knight who had saved her and the kingdom. It stung a little, and they would need to talk about it, but it's like Clark Kent being mad that Lois is in love with Superman. It's the same guy. Still, it would have been nice if she didn't run away in tears, but eh, they would work on that. Bayaya cleared his throat, and Slovina looked up and then gasped in awe of the knight. The knight said he was her betrothed. She shook her head. She was betrothed to Bayaya. He smiled. He was Bayaya. He was the young man who wove her garlands, but who also saved her and her sisters and routed the enemy. Here, he could prove it. He pulled his foot from his boot, the one that he hadn't washed in a week, what he had been keeping for this moment. It was still wrapped in the strip from the king's cloak. Slovina said she didn't understand the context of his stinky foot, but he was by She ran to him and hugged him. The king filled her and everyone else in. And Slovina and Baia were married. And the kid who had left home in search of a family, a purpose, and love had found all those things and more. There's a short postscript to the story where Baia sends word home to learn that his brother has died. So he's now the heir anyway. Also, dad loves him now because he's actually successful, which Baia hopefully takes with a grain of salt. And at the very end, Slavina and Baia grow to love each other for who they really are. Next week, we're back in the stories of Danish author and mermaid murder aficionado Hans Christian Andersen with the story of a man who has a problem with his shadow. If you're looking for something else to listen to, did you know that the US Central Intelligence Agency tried to crack the secrets of mind control in the 50s and 60s? And they were really bad at it. The subject of Scoundrel this time is the guy who led the project. And <laughs> it's a wild ride. Check it out by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is Jidra from medieval Europe. Now, if you Google Jidra, J-I-D-R-A, you get a lot of hulking, evil monster plants, and it kind of is. If that hulking, evil monster plant still had to be connected to the ground by its umbilical cord. We'll back up. Plants, like people, animals, and most ducks, can be evil. The Jidra is an evil plant. It starts small, and you might be surprised that the little plant in your garden is thriving so well. But then look closer and, uh, hmm, the ground around it is completely clear. Yeah, the Jidra has been cannibalizing the nearby plants to make itself stronger. But still, people mistake it for just a plant, and they keep watering it. But the Jidra, the Jidra is getting hungry, and it feeds. You won't see it, but rabbits, squirrels, anything else it can get, disappear into the ground. And soon, you have a plant that's the same size as you. You might think, hey, I'm an awesome gardener. But then, one sunny morning, you see it stir, and it looks at you. 
but it's still just a plant and plants need to stay in the ground to stay alive, so no worries there. And you're right, about the ground part. It needs a root in the ground, but that root, that can be long. The Jidra keeps a vine-like umbilical cord tethered to the ground and mindlessly attacks anyone and anything that passes by. The Jidra's greatest strength, its ability to move in a limited area, is also its weakness. But before you get overly confident, remember that while it can only move a short distance, and if you cut its little belly button leash it will die, you still have to get to the belly button leash. That's why most sources recommend using arrows against the monster, treating the arrows like a kryptonite or something. But really, it's the safest way to strike at the Jidra, without letting the Jidra strike at you. If you manage, congrats, you get Jidra bones. What are Jidra bones? Well, apparently, they were a big deal in the Middle Ages, enough so that people would risk their lives fighting an evil giant plant baby. Can't say it's worth it anymore, though. I just searched for Jidra bones on eBay. Zero results. So not only will you be left with some worthless plant bones, which I'm pretty sure are just sticks, but you'll need to go visit an audiologist, because, like the mandrake, the Jidra emits an ear-splitting scream as it dies. My recommendation? This thing has a built-in leash. Just put up a fence, dump your compost over, you're good. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hold up. 